Ira Jersey, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. That voice you heard at the beginning was Jason. Jason, guess who I bumped into last Tuesday and one of the reasons why we didn't record later in the week? Chris Bermudez, and then you bounced right off of him. That is a good guess, but no. Triple G himself. Oh, boy. I I went to an event in New York City, and I wound up speaking for about 20 minutes with Greg Berhalter. We covered a variety of topics, but USL League One did come up. And uh, the question that he asked me was, what was the level of USL League One like? Because he's concerned that some players are being developed in League One and that it's not at a high enough level. So can Mm. you take a wild guess what I said? You said it was phenomenal. I said that it was very appropriate, that it was not significantly different than USL Championship, except maybe at the very top. Okay. Um, and uh, and so he was like, oh, that's good. I was like, yeah, you should watch a few matches. You know, tell yeah. you what you, you know, look <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> maybe look for somebody that's not a Zardes for once, you know, something <laughs> something different. Yeah, there might might be one or two of those guys on some of these teams that you could certainly do. I mean, we, we did talk a little bit about the U-20s and about some of the guys that he really likes. And I mentioned, you know, the North Texas t- guys were uh, pretty impressive this year. And, uh, you know, like Ricardo Pepe, obviously, playing on the first team. Um, and, uh, and he said, yeah, but he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been a regular now. I'm like, he's going to turn 17 in a couple of months. <laughs> like, give the guy a break. <laughs> yeah, you know who's a regular. Zardes. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's his regular. That's a guy that we... <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, one other one other little piece of housekeeping before we get into USL news. Uh, the USL show just put out a show today. Uh, Phil Grooms was speaking with Joe Lowry, known as Joe Lowry, at Joe and Cleats on Twitter. And it was an interesting show because one of the things that Joe brought up was the media attention that uh, that the press officers at each of the clubs um, gives. And, and it's, in Joe's opinion, a lot of the clubs are very, very tight-lipped about what's going on with their with their club. And I, I, you know, interestingly, you know, I think that's true in some cases, like we haven't found out about Tim Hankinson at Chattanooga. There, there has not been narratives that have been controlled by a lot of teams and, and trying to get interesting stories. But then on the other side, you have teams quite frankly, like forward Madison, I think, and even Greenville and, and Lansing that have done a pretty good job with that this year. And, And certainly, certainly all of the press officers have been good to us so far about getting, um, uh, about getting, uh, interviews with coaches and, and players and stuff, but it's except uh, Orlando, except yeah, Orlando, and Orlando, TFC. Yeah, yeah, TFC too. TFC promised me, by the way, that they would get back to me, and no, they listen, promised me that twice. I've been promoting Jordan Perusa since preseason. Okay, U twenty twenty, which we'll talk about for a little bit. They didn't even know about Perusa up until game one. All right, Toronto, you need to get back with us. We've been supporting you from the get go. Yeah, seriously. We before he winds up on the Canadian national team, we really need Jordan, which is next year, to be on our show. (laughs) All right. So speaking of the USL twenty under twenty, there were four USL League One players who made the list, including surprise, surprise, current Golden Boot leader Ronaldo Damas from North Texas. Texas, two TFC2 players, including the aforementioned Jordan Perusa, as well as Nobel Akello, who 
uh, they did something today that that we can talk about a little later. And also TFC, uh, uh, excuse me, North Texas, uh, Ricardo Pepe. So, I mean, Ricardo Pepe obviously hasn't played in USL League One much the last couple of months, but um, we have basically three people who are up there in the Golden Boot uh, Golden Boot race. So, you know, anyone else, Jason, that you think should uh, should have been maybe considered for this list? Absolutely. And just because they're a last place team doesn't mean that this man doesn't deserve it. Tiago de Souza has been killing it all year. It's been Orlando City B's bright spot. Six goals, 26 chances created. Half of the time he's playing as a left back and switching to left winger. 24 interceptions and efficient. Has 30 shots and out of his 30 shots, 17 on target. And like I said, this is somebody who was playing left back for a while and having to come overlap. So I think as a team that doesn't get much spotlight in the media, maybe if they actually were transparent and put themselves with the media, they'd get some more spotlight. But as a team who doesn't, I think Tiago D'Souza is definitely someone who deserves uh, a shout out for that. So, and I know you had one other person that you noted on Twitter that you thought deserved a shout out, not not from a two team. So, no, yeah, name that person, Jason. Yeah, I mean, he's young. I think he's got a high ceiling, but I think Chris Bermudez has someone who's come in and has made a difference in the little time that he has played, right? Hasn't started as many games as most of the league. He's only started 15 games. Uh, but within those 15 games, he's created 23 chances, has two assists, two goals, and he's someone that's extremely versatile, right? And so what Coach John Harks likes to do is he starts uh, Bermudez on the left, but then will end up him being on the right wing towards the end of the game where he switches his wings whenever he feels necessary. And, you know, it takes a talented player to be able to do that, to do it with both feet, to be able to cut in, to stay wide and send in crosses. So definitely someone I think is poised for a breakout year next year. Yeah. I would uh, um, I, I think he's still under 20, but I, I would have thought maybe craft uh, from Richmond. He didn't get enough playing time, I think, uh, because he was a very late signing for the team. But I've been was pretty impressed with what he's done. Even tonight uh, in the match, we're recording this Wednesday night. Um, I thought he had a, a decent match tonight as well. Um, but, you know, probably didn't play enough games to get noticed, really. And also on a team that you know was not particularly good either. Um, so let's. Speaking about Greenville, let's talk about Greenville and youth again. So Greenville signed two high school players to USL Academy contracts. Uh, these are, are 17, 18-year-olds. I mean, some of their Twitter profile pictures are things like uh, prom pictures and things like that. But Connor, I think it's Dowler and Ben Erkins. Uh, they both uh, are eligible to play in college because they're on that uh, because they're on their USL Academy contracts. Both play in the ECNL, which is an, uh, the elite. Um, oh shoot! Now I, I don't remember, but it's uh, elite something national league, um, and uh, they play for Carolina Elite Soccer Academy, uh, and both play on the same team. So and and but they play for different high schools. So uh, they've been going up against each other in different high schools. You know, this is another thing, Jason, that I think really is one of the reasons why USL League One is going to really help the whole U.S. soccer landscape because these guys might have slipped through the cracks at some level and not maybe get have gotten seen by a professional team except the fact that Greenville's in their area. Yep, absolutely. And then, or they play in a league where they can only really play in the summer before they have to go back to college, right? And so now you have the opportunity to play against former MLS players, former international 
players as opposed to just playing against other college players um, and really get an idea of, you know, this professional cycle and whether or not you will be able to fit into it. I think a lot of kids go to college, they play college, aren't sure if they're cut out for the pros, go through the draft system, and only a few really pan out, right? And so like you said, I think this is now more of an opportunity. You don't have to get drafted and then only have one season, two seasons to really prove yourself. Now you get to prove yourself throughout college, make a decision based off of this. And yeah, like you said, I think it's going to save a lot of players who would have slipped through the cracks. And they could be really ready for the college season because if they're even if they don't get a lot of playing time uh, in matches, if they're even just training with the first team mm-hmm. at Greenville Triumph and then, you know, go go off to school for three months and then come back to the Triumph uh, later. I yeah, I think for their own development, that's probably really, uh, re- really attractive option for them. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is USL Omaha is having a big reveal. By the time you listen to this, it may have happened because it's happening noontime in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, October the 3rd, so noon October the 3rd Central Time, they're going to announce some big stuff. So firstly, they're going to announce apparently their name, their branding. They did announce, however, that they have 13 local business owners and individuals in their total ownership group. So, you know, a who's who kind of of Omaha business leaders. And, uh, you know, I really look forward to seeing some of the stadium renovations that they're talking about. You know, we I interviewed their uh, their I interviewed their president and uh, and CEO not so long ago. And they were talking about, you know, that they want to have it like Louisville, where they actually get rid of the uh, the pitcher's mound and that that gets uh, gets taken out so they can have a wider field than some of the other fields that are, are very narrow because of the uh, the pitcher's mound being there in the baseball stadium. So what what are you looking for? What, what's your favorite name, Jason, that, for Omaha? Yeah, I was going to say, you want to you want to try to take a take a swing on what we think it's going to be? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like this uncreative creative guy. Uh, how about you go first while I think about it? Oh, I I. Don't have any clue. What I do hope, though, is that it's not anything like Union or United or, you know, like, let's switch it up. Let's well, let's do something a little bit different. Let's go ahead and uh, get some well, American stereotypical names up in there. Well, let's think about it. So one of the owners owns the Storm Chasers, which is right, the local right. baseball team, which is where they'll they'll play. So maybe maybe something related to to that, like yeah, the storm Omaha Storm or would be great. Lightning or yeah, <laughs> Omaha like Storm that. would be great. And then yeah. yeah, I have no problem with that. Just anything besides the United or Real <laughs> or just anything. Um, I like I like some of the names. I mean, I love I love the idea of Forward Madison. I like Lansing Ignite. I think that's a cool name. Yeah, you know, Greenville cool, Triumph. I mean, those are great. Like, yeah, absolutely. Give me give me Omaha Ranch dressing. I don't. I mean, like, <laughs> just just please don't I, don't give me a Omaha Union. It's gonna I, I hurt think I think Elliot Barr from River City ninety three wanted the uh, wanted their nickname to be the Stakes or something like that. <laughs> love um, it, but <laughs> so Omaha. I, I, I have a funny feeling that that's trade. I have a funny feeling that's trademarked. (laughs) So, all right. So we get into some results from week 27. Let's do it. The penultimate week started on Tuesday night uh, after we recorded on Monday night. It was FC Tucson 2 to Greenville Triumph (laughs) 3 in a game. I, uh, you know, we, we will talk about this, but ultimately this game was decided in one of the things that Jason hates the most. And that is. 
pulling your goalkeeper up into the box for this, penalty kicks in the last First foremost, I, I thought I hated it, but apparently Lansing fans uh, hated it more than anything I've ever seen anyone hate because <laughs> they were on Twitter just disgusted. Um, but but we and we will talk about it, but I actually give uh, Tucson a pass with this, and we'll talk about why. But, yeah, just – so early and i want to say this happened earlier in the season and i talked about it um and I, i'm going to go back and listen to our old episodes and see because if a team misses out on the playoffs by one point and it was because they were the ones who you know cleared uh, the keeper from the net and the other team went down and scored i'm gonna laugh hysterically the next podcast is going to be me laughing for 20 minutes straight I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, that it was Tucson that let up okay. that goal. That did it <laughs> so this again. Was the okay. Second time. Okay. That, well, that then, well, then, yeah, then I 100% agree with it. You guys have chosen. This is your brand. This is what you're gonna do. I'm all in. All right. I can't. I can't be mad at that. And and they're they're more that they were more than one point out of the playoffs. So, <laughs> uh, let's see here. So in the third minute, Cameron Saul uh, scored for Greenville from a Dominic Boland uh, from a, a Dominic. Uh, Bowen pass. Um, it was, you know, it was a really well worked attack right up the middle. Omar Muhammad finds himself at the top of the 18 in a 2v1. Uh, Boland overlapped to his right, and uh, and Muhammad just, you know, nicely weighted the pass to uh, to Boland, who then, you know, crossed it right across the six yard box. And, uh, you know, Cameron Soll didn't have to do anything except get in the way. He just. Right. Tapped it home, and that—that's that, all she. I mean, this could have been something that they worked on fifty times, just with cones in the on the training ground, right? Yeah, and this is something that if they—they've had these opportunities all year, right? Like, let's not talk about how we did cross watch with Greenville. Let's not forget that they were at one point the most crossing team in the league. I think now it's just instead of going high, they—they're—they're they're realizing their strengths. They're building it up, right? Like you said, Muhammad going 2-1 and then giving it off the Boland. Maybe in the past we see Muhammad be the first one to cross that in. But now, giving it the Boland, it spreads it out and it gives you another opportunity. So I, I like to see that Greenville has improved in that. And had they improved in it earlier, they'd probably be a two-seed right now. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, a one-seed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, so very possible. Valdez maybe could have gotten the cross. I, I don't know why he didn't try to dive for the cross because it was well within his arm's reach. Um, maybe he saw it late or, or thought that someone else was going to cut it out. Ejimadu being called back to LAFC has hurt Tucson more than any team I've seen. And, I'm, and it's not to say that Valdez is a bad keeper, but I just think that the way Ejimadu was the, the keeper of the league who always came off his line, the fastest keeper off his line, and the one who really helped organize that defense, you, you've been able to see the difference. Yeah. You noted he can run 80 yards in about a second and a half. So it, easy. Um, <laughs> so uh, then they double their lead in the 44th minute. Uh, Cameron Saul again. Uh, Muhammad finds the uh, feeds the ball to Saul, who's wide open and running in behind from uh, from about 45 yards out. Really terrible marking by the Tucson back line. I mean, Cameron Saul didn't have anyone within five yards, six yards of him. Uh, and then he's able to take the ball away from the defenders. Uh, three backs did uh, make pretty good recovery runs. Uh, he then, uh, Saul then takes a, takes a, takes a shot, winds up, uh, going off the defender and pulls it back and 
just get some separation. And Batista slipped, uh, quite frankly. So Batista was there. I mean, he could have stopped it, but he slipped. And then Saul finishes with his left foot far post uh, from the right-hand side of the six-yard box. And uh, and 2 nil. Anything special about this other than that Cameron Saul's pretty good at dribbling with speed? I think that the reason why you saw the bad marking in this goal, you even saw it in the first goal a little bit as well. There's just so much space in the box. Is when you look at this Tucson team, they had brought in the USL championship players, right? They tried to sub in some defenders, tried to, to bulk up their defense, bulk up the team. And I think when it comes to with the playoffs on the line, you go with chemistry over talent, right? Especially when it comes to defense. I can understand maybe putting a striker up there, putting a winger up there, maybe do some 1v1. But when it comes to defense, I'd rather take the back line that's been playing consistently for 10 straight games or whatever it was and then have somebody come in, mix up that chemistry. Like I said, you don't have the keeper you normally have. I think that really hurt Tucson, especially in this game. Well, I see. The thing is, Kyle Ventner has been – a mainstay on the back line and you know so that communication is you know is key and so you know obviously there was a breakdown in communication there for sure right like people just not checking their shoulders so i agree i agree with you i mean it's really difficult and it's not to say that you know the players that they brought in aren't good right like ledbetter obviously came in was one of the best defenders to start the year and that's why he got the called up but if him and cody wakasa and um, Bjorten haven't played all together, then then what, you know, why? Why yeah. all of a sudden change up the back line? And I think Venter was out in this game because of yellow cards. I, I think or, he had his suspension, yeah. Right, but at the same time, Hosworth, who played pretty much every game this season on the bench, and it's just I don't understand really what the idea of changing almost that, I think the entire back line outside of Batista was. Right. Uh, in the 50th minute, however, FC Tucson came back. Jordan Jones scored on a PK. Uh, there was a handball in the box on uh, on Mohammed, and it was actually kind of unlucky. The ball kind of popped up. Um, you know, the natural position language is very vague, and you know, I I can see Omar Mohammed arguing that his hand was in a natural running position when it hit him. But you know, you see that that get called about 70% of the time, I would think. So, I mean, I'm making up that stat, but it seems more often than not uh, in that same situation it gets called. Uh, Jones goes right up the middle. Uh, you know, Dallas J dove to his right, and, you know, there was no way to save it. Jordan Jones then hit the crossbar off of a set piece in the 57th minute, almost tied it up. You want to talk about uh, about this chance for a second before know. we get to the other goals? I don't know what this Greenville set-piece trap was, but it was not good. I can tell you that's what it was. Uh, so for those who didn't see it, Greenville apparently had this idea that as soon as the set-piece was, was about to be taken, everyone was just going to run forward to try to draw Tucson offside. But guessing it didn't happen, and instead you had three or four people wide open in the box, including Jordan Jones, who I'm sure nine out of ten times would easily – hit that had he probably not thought about it too hard realizing why am i all by myself here in the box i think i think he was yeah i think he might have been surprised that he didn't have any pressure on him yeah (laughs) it was crazy i would not especially with usl refs i would not play that game i will not leave i listen you might the traps might work 
in, in higher leagues, and it might even work here. But it's it, I'm not I'm not gambling. I'm not putting my my odds in the refs' hands. And, for that one. and he was definitely not offside too, by no. the way. So, um, 89th minute, FC Tucson does tie it up. Jamil Cox scores. Uh, so FC Tucson worked the ball down the left side. Cox passed the ball uh, to the outside to Delgado, who uh, who draw two defenders to him, and he was able to cut it back, leaving Cox wide open. Um, so uh, the ball gets uh, Delgado gets the ball back to Cox. So Cox actually spun. Almost 360 degrees. It was a 270 degree turn. I, I wasn't quite sure why he turned that way, and he didn't take the easier route of <laughs> of just turning to his right. Instead, he turns to his left, 270 degrees. But he takes the takes the shot with his right yeah. foot, and it winds up just under Dallas J at the far post, and uh, all tied up in the 90th minute. Yep, and uh, I, I you know I think it was a great goal. I, like you said, I don't know what what's going on with the turn. Maybe he he. Doesn't he has no left foot at all and was like I got to do whatever it takes to get this on my right foot, um, but yeah it was a great goal. Um, it was kind of a Tucson goal, right? Those are the kind of goals they've been scoring all year, are pretty much right outside the box or right inside the box, and uh, just rockets. They haven't really, you know, they've had a couple buildups, they've had a couple not really tap-ins though, right? It's either set pieces or it's just rockets from twenty yards out. But this wasn't everything, and because FC Tucson knew that they needed three points in this match. So in the 93rd minute, there was a corner kick. Valdez, the goalkeeper, goes up. He's in the box. Two defenders are back for FC Tucson. The ball gets cleared out, and everyone was up. The ball bounces toward the midfield. Bermudez is... Bermuda strips the ball from the from a defender. I didn't see who the defender was. Could you tell who was the def, was the uh, defender? Uh, I have to go back and um, look at my yeah, notes. I, I don't think I, I don't think it, it might have been Andrew Mullen, but I'm not sure. Maybe, but whoever it was just needed to get it back into the mixer. Instead, they tried to take a touch while Bermudez was just bowling down on, on him. Uh, so Bermudez uh, st- strips the ball and then basically dribbles the ball right into the net. I mean, he wound up actually shooting from about the penalty spot, but. But he, be, he could have dribbled it into the net for sure. Well, we can talk about how Bermudez might be 120 pounds soaking wet. And two of Tucson's uh, middle, I guess, central defensive players just bounced off of him like he was the world's strongest man. And I just didn't understand it. You see it before the goal uh, with whoever he stripped the ball from. And then you see it even after the goal, right? I think it's... Uh, Cox or somebody makes that run all the way down. You know, he wants to get in a late shot because, hey, I made that run. I deserve to have a late shot on him. <laughs> and then we, he bounces right off of him. It just falls to the ground. And I'm not I'm not sure if, if Tucson needs to work on their condition, their strength conditioning or if Bermudez is just like Adam Ant and one of the strongest <laughs> people in the league. But I did not understand how two people – Easily 50, 60 pounds heavier than Bermudez is just bouncing right off of him. Chris Adamant Bermudez. We'll have to uh, tweet at him that. <laughs> so, um, you know, some, some interesting things here. I think tactically, you know, Tyler Polak was uh, Polak was still stayed back. Like he mm-hmm. didn't get up into the attack like he has in some games in the past. Um, I, I don't know if – so I think maybe the idea was Jordan Jones in the prior game had uh, had actually played out on the right, but in this game he was playing more central. So I don't know if, if you know – 
basically the the tactical plan was for Tyler to stay back and kind of be a third uh, a third defensive option to deal with uh, either Jordan Jones or Devin Jamga if he was in the game. Um, he you know he didn't have a lot to a lot to do really most of the match. Uh, Boland did push up a lot, you know. So Boland obviously got an assist. He um, you know he was very very up there. So you know not not a totally unusual tactical decision, but you know I'm kind of hoping that at some point Tyler gets to push up again. But he clearly did his job in this game. Yeah, um, and you you can even look. On the charts, Jordan Jones kind of drifted to that right to his right side, and that's where Pollock pretty much positioned himself. So I think it could have been a man marking thing and saying like, "Hey, you make sure you don't give him any space." Um, and we've seen what happened when Jordan Jones can get space. So uh, I think he did a good job um, at doing that. If you look, he had I think seven or eight um, tackles won on that right side. So tackles wanted interceptions. So he he did everything he needed to do to make sure that Jordan Jones didn't get that space. Yeah. So uh, Cox did look good. Uh, obviously, he wound up getting. Uh, um, obviously, he wound up. Uh, you know, being being involved with the. Uh, um, Getting the getting the goal for Tucson. He only played 14 minutes. Uh, Tucson kind of switched from a 4-2-3-1 to more of a, like a 4-1-4-1 uh, for the last 15 minutes of the game or so uh, after he came in, which I thought was an interesting tactical choice. It certainly seemed to work given that they got the the tying goal, although they couldn't hold on to the lead or, or hold on to that that draw. Um, so this puts Greenville at the time or put Greenville into the playoffs and within striking distance of second place based on other results. Mm. Mm. So, shall we move on to those other results? We spent a lot of time on a game that, yeah. you know, I think it deserved it did. You know, the time it did. we gave it, it was, because Greenville it was, was very tactical yeah. this game. Yeah, for sure. It was in it. And I know Lansing fans and Ford fans and everyone else who, you know, need a result from this game hated it. But you got to realize Tucson had to go for it. I do think bringing your keeper up three minutes with like, you know, when there's three minutes of extra time left is a little too early. Um, but yeah, right. It, it's one of those things to where you can't really put the blame on Tucson for it um, because they were going for the win. They had no choice. Yeah. So the, uh, the first game on Friday, which was of course, Jason. Primetime baby, four o'clock. Four o'clock Eastern time, Toronto FC two scores one against South Georgia Tormenta, who just I I really I'm actually saddened to see South Georgia having such struggles over the past couple of months. Really have. Yeah, they they did not have a great game offensively. Only four key passes, only two shots on target, forty five percent of the possession. Um, Toronto really were aggressive the first half, really kind of dictated the game and the style. And then, you know, defensively, you know, did what they had to do in the second half. You know, uh, only one key pass from Torment in the second half. So it was a game where it just felt like Toronto pretty much was handling it for the most part. Yeah. So interesting on uh, TFC two side, Jacob Schaffelberg, who hadn't played with the team for the better part of uh, almost 10 weeks. Welcome uh, back. Because he'd been playing for the first team and set, sitting on the bench mostly. Uh, so he got some time. He got got the start in this one. Um, Jordan Peruza scored in this one, 14th minute. He scored off a corner kick, but uh, it was. Uh, uh, anyway. Nope. 
Was it was it Perusa or was it uh, uh, a? Oh, I'm sorry, Perusa. Excuse me. The 14th yeah. player, Perusa, thought he scored. Right. But it turned he out was, that he had he pushed Meacham. That that's that's what happened here. I'm, yeah. I was trying to remember. I was like, and that then, doesn't uh, sound right because Mingo coming through second right. game in a row. Uh, Third minute, Franco Mingo scored. This is the goal. <laughs> I was yes. like, wait a second, Perusa didn't score this game. Uh, and from Jaden Nelson, it was a uh, so Nelson drove the ball to the uh, near post in a corner kick, and uh, Mingo just redirected it with his head into the goal. I think. There might have been a PK on this one. I think Mingo was actually totally taken down. Um, You know, but it doesn't matter. You want the goal, right? So you take the goal. You play advantage. Take the goal. But you know, had he not uh, scored, that that should have been a penalty. Had he not got him. This is uh, this is officially a a Jaden Nelson fan club. I thought he was tremendous in this game. I'm very sad that we didn't get to see more of him this year. I think he's another player with Bermuda. After tonight, have a... you're not going to see him anymore this year. Yeah. Uh, about that later. Wait, uh, Nelson? Or I'm talking about Jaden Nelson. Oh, sorry. I thought yeah, you were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. Franco Mingo. Oh, no, because no, no. Franco Mingo Frank... got a red card tonight. Mingo, yeah. Mingo either gets a goal or a red card. That's just how his game works. But Jaden <laughs> Nelson was phenomenal. Uh, three chances created, an assist, but we just talked about seven crosses, three tackles. A player that gets the ball at his own 30 and takes it to the opponent's 30, um, takes on anybody despite his size. I'm extremely excited to watch more of him next year. Yeah, he looked good tonight against uh, against Richmond as well. In fact, Richmond kind of, I don't want to say they targeted him, but he certainly took some heavy tackles and actually got taken out of the game today after. Um, after you leave you know, my son alone. You ankle. leave my Canadian <laughs> child alone. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, the, but in fairness, Connor Antley almost tied it up in in injury time or right before injury time. Uh, Konoski came out and made a really, really good save off of an Antley uh, left-footed shot, uh, basically from right at the six. I mean, it was was a hard low shot. Uh, TFC2, you know, they – they basically, they, they, I don't want to say that they dominated most of the statistics, but they had 10 shots compared to five. Uh, they had 55% possession. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, the, the only thing is, interestingly, you know, each team only had a couple of shots on target. So uh, they didn't have a ton of, uh, a ton of chances really at all. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I thought they, they handled the game very well. Um, EFC 2 did, you mean? Yeah, yeah, Toronto. I thought that they did everything they needed to do once they got the goal. And defensively, I think um, Bunk Anderson had a really great game too, um, kind of put the defense on his back. And, yeah, outside of that uh, Antley chance, you know, Tormenta didn't really have any big chances. Um, yeah. And so that's, you got to give credit to Toronto in there. Uh, question for you, how many people do you think came to your bar mitzvah? Uh, well, I'm not Jewish. I can tell you how many came to my son's bar mitzvah. Okay. About 150. Okay, so about a hundred more than actually came to this game. I just wanted to, yeah. But it was it was it was a treat to see Bunk Anderson, put, you know, put on a performance like that for those fifty people. Yeah. So yeah, everyone assumes I'm Jewish because my name's Ira, but believe it or not, I'm Lutheran. Um, so <laughs> it's a long, 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 long story about how yeah. Ira became my name. Okay. Uh, but anyway, shall we move on to uh, to Greenville versus OCB? Oh yeah. Let's, uh, so let's talk this about that. is a game that Jason has to take a lot of credit for, or at least the foresight to thinking that this might actually happen because Greenville, after their great win out in Tucson, comes home and drops all three points to Orlando City B one nil. Jason, 
what was your spicy take about OCB? Listen, I told y'all weeks ago. I told you weeks ago that the Greenville-Orlando game wasn't going to go the way people thought it was, and this, the takes don't lie, all right? Let's just let's be real. The takes don't lie. And, you know, to credit to Greenville, though, this was a game. It's not like Orlando dominated. I not think at Orlando, all. In fact, yeah, in fact it's, it's, OCB was lucky it wasn't 4-1. to one. Yeah, Greenville had all the chances, 21 shots, but only four on target, right? And so Orlando did a great job with some last-minute defense, a lot of blocks. But I think, you know, missing Aaron Walker was huge for Greenville because those midfielders push forward a lot and are the ones that kind of set up those passes to the side, which open up the middle for crosses. And I think you can see Greenville went back to what they were a couple weeks ago and were just anxious, right? And so there's a couple chances where J.J. Donnelly and Gomez both had you know, people making runs down the side and overlapping and instead decided to take a shot from outside of the box. And they just didn't look as fluid as they did the past two games. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think OCB, so, so in this game, one of the things defensively is their their midfield defended much better than it had been. Like, OCB kept on leaking goals, and a big part of it was they just had a very porous back line, but they also had almost no cover. So it was like everyone was pushing up. You wound up having, you know, you wound up having six attack, people in the attack. You didn't have any defensive cover. So, so everyone was able just to run at the uh, OCB back line, right? So you blame the OCB back line, which, you know, they, they have to take some of the blame. But at the same time, it wasn't only them. It was the fact that you didn't have that other defensive cover. So I think they figured this out, uh, figured yeah. that out in this game. So and in some interesting things, this was OCB's first win on the road all season. Wow. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah, but their first win on the road all season. Uh, their first win in since July. You want uh, another spicy take? Go for it. They're getting their second this weekend. Oh, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that later. Ooh, that is a spicy take. <laughs> We're doubling take. down, people. We're doubling down. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, how much do you think for Greenville, how much do you think the midweek game and, and travel from Tucson impacted them in this game? Because this game, this game was Friday night, right? And they mm-hmm. had played on Tuesday. So you figure travel Wednesday, you have Thursday, Friday, Thursday basically for recovery, and then... And then and another not just match. travel, travel, because they were all the way out in Tucson, right? And hey, so, come on, it's, and the, then, it's only the second farthest trip <laughs> in USL League One. I mean, I mean, it's and, not Richmond, you know. Yeah, had to win it in extra time. Um, like I said, Aaron Walker is a huge miss for them. I think another huge miss for them was having no pullets. I think because they didn't have pullets, you know, we talked about pullets staying back. You know, to to cover Jordan Jones in Tucson, he didn't. This is a game Jordan Jones. I mean, a uh, Pollock doesn't have to stay back for, right? And so, unfortunately, though, he kind of did because with no Pollocks, and then you have all your midfielders going up, he kind of had to be that person to break up counters and make sure that Orlando, because they do have fast young offensive players, you know, didn't get up uh, and get to the free space. And so, I think that hurt Greenville a lot too. And you know, you when you watch this game, you watch JJ, you watch Greenville and their forwards up top, Cameron. So no one really made those runs, right? No one really opened up. And I think 
Pollock being back, Pollock is that person who comes in, draws in defenders, and can create those crosses to where there is a space for those forwards to run, make those runs, move up. They kind of just stood there. It was like they were waiting for someone like a like a Tyler to create those chances, and it just didn't happen. But, but again, is that is see that it's that movement off the ball though, which makes me wonder if you know they really had tired legs after the travel and the hard fought game yeah. in Tucson, right? Because you know th- things when when you you thought you saw Saul in in the game against Tucson. If Jake Keegan was in there, like you know they 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 make those lateral movements and try and get in between you know different pairings of the back line. And I think that that is something that makes them dangerous because then you could have Boland or Tyler Pollock, you know you know get the balls into them and you know or Muhammad uh, yeah. for that matter. So you know you can definitely have you can definitely have good movement. Um, but if you're tired, it's going to be hard to do. Like you're not thinking about it. Um, and they had, you know, they had like, like you said, they did have 21 shots, right? So they were, they were kind of dangerous. They had 59% possession during the game. A lot of interceptions, 14 interceptions compared mm-hmm. to four for OCD. Oh, yeah, they, but, they dominated. It's just they, yeah, they just didn't. They finish. couldn't put the ball away. Yeah, and that was something that we were talking about midseason. It's been a couple games where they've seen to turn it around, but. You know, it's it's a big game this weekend because if they struggle like that going into the playoffs, you know, they're they're going to be facing teams that defensively you're not going to get too many chances, at least not as many as Orlando's going to give you. So, you're not gonna, And you're not going to have nearly as much of the ball, for sure, against yeah. some of them. Yeah. So in the 53rd minute, the uh, was the, the, the sole goal. There was a free kick from uh, the left side of the penalty area. It was like it was like shorter than a corner kick. Uh, it was just just from right outside the penalty penalty box. Serginho takes the kick low and hard and and uh, uh, Bagru uh, redirects it right past Alice J. And that's all she wrote. Yeah, that's that's all. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it, if anything, that was Orlando. Orlando had a couple of big chances. They had another one in the 90th minute where uh, Dallas J had to come up with a big save. But it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all it takes, right? It, it, if a team is not finishing their chances and it's time after time, it's, you kind of just get this feeling like, oh, my God, this other team is going to get a ridiculous goal or something's going to happen and this other team is either now going to draw or lose because yeah. of it. That's exactly what happened. And that same night, FC Tucson didn't have to travel, even though they played midweek. Uh, they ended up playing against FC Tucson versus forward Madison. This game ended 1-1. Madison had a lot of dangerous chances early, but then settled down into a very intense but technical game. Um, you, you know, there were there were 23 fouls, which is not a little, but it's also like you often see each team with 15-ish fouls. Uh, so not particularly high. So, but it was it wound up being like I don't want to say a tactical masterclass, but it got very, very technical and 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 tactical, where you had both teams, you know, kind of vying for position. They had both teams tried to keep the ball, which I was a little bit surprised at because I figured Madison wanted the ball and Tucson didn't, because you know Tucson's been w- wanting to keep the ball more and more as the seasons progress. I don't know if that's that's something because of you know a Phoenix Rising tactic or or what that is, but. Um, yeah, you know, any any ideas about that? Because early in the season, Tucson got a lot of wins mainly from playing counterattack, right? Absorbing pressure and then counterattacking. Well, I think Tucson uh, won the middle, and that's what this was about. So when you look at them, I think they got the ball from interceptions, from winning duels, and then kind of 
passed it back and would build up from there and more so keep the ball away from Ford to build up that possession. So when you look at it, Ford only had six interceptions and none of them came from Tucson's side, right? And and Christian Pato Diaz had four of those six. Whereas when you look at Tucson, they had four interceptions on Ford's side alone, had 11 overall. And then when you look at the duels, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, uh, Tucson winning all their tackles, in the midfield or in Ford's side, whereas Ford didn't really win any in Tucson. So I think a lot of that, right, is what Ford trying to build up and Tucson interrupting it and then pushing the ball back to their back line and building up and just pretty much not allowing Ford to really build up and spread the field and switch the balls and have their backs overlap like they'd like yeah. to do. Well, and, and like you mentioned uh, midweek, Jordan Jones had played more on the right wing uh, for during the for the midweek match. But for this match, he was definitely more central. Like he mm-hmm. was much, much more central uh, th- than he was. And I, I don't know if maybe that disrupted things. I, I think that's quite frankly his better position because Absolutely. you know when when Devin Jamgas on uh, kind of on on the uh, on the wing, it, it it's more helpful. He Devin did come in in this match. He hadn't played for a few matches because uh, of because of injury. Uh, came in in the 55th minute. Um, Delgado didn't start, but also came in for the last 15 minutes of the game. Uh, it felt that if Tucson was really content with holding the ball and mm-hmm. um, just as they did against Greenville, but they, they were never really able to break, um, which, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I think breaking in transition it had really been something that Tucson made, uh, you know, w- was quite frankly the elite team doing it in, in this league. And uh, they kind of lost that trying to possess the ball a little bit more. But again, you know, if, if that's because they're trying to get these players to get used to playing in, in you know, um, Phoenix Rising style, then perhaps that that's uh, that makes a lot more sense. But if it's anything else, I think that they should probably have thought to go back to that tactic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think Ford, too, Ford was pretty much rated. That was their bread and butter after the U.S. Open Cup was on the break. And so I think both teams really didn't get it. it. But I think, but, but it was a little bit different, I think, for Ford. Oh, it's, it was fo- different. Forward, forward, you know, they, I think for Ford, it was more about transition moments mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, literally absorb and counter. Right? But like I, I said, it's hard stuff. to transition when you're losing the ball on the midfield. It's yeah. just they didn't have any chance. And so I think Tucson, like you said, because they had more possession than they usually do. They didn't get to really play the style we're used to seeing them. But I also think they did a great job of stopping Ford's style as well. Um, and I also think Madison was hurting without your boy, who uh, wasn't in the lineup this week. Eric Leonard. Yep. Is that who you're talking about? No, yeah. I was talking about Omsberg. But, oh, um, oh uh, yeah, Omsberg. Yeah. I was like, Eric Leonard was playing. <laughs> he, he didn't have a great game, actually. Um, yeah. He didn't have a bad game either. I mean, the, the thing about a number six is, like, if you if you don't notice them, they're probably doing a good job. Um, you know, you really have to be doing something special if if, uh, if you're a number six and you, you get a lot of shout-outs. Yeah, but I thought uh, Omsberg not being back there um, – hurt them and it hurt them on the goal which i'm sure you're about to bring up i was about to bring that up because fc tucson did start the scoring in the 31st minute uh jordan jones gets the goal uh it came after a period of really intense pressure so i mean tucson had three or four kind of half chances and looks on goal in the couple of minutes before this goal happened um eventually the ball gets in the box that forward did not convincingly convincingly clear the ball the ball gets recycled down the left channel to to terran who is overlapped by cox terran 
just has a one-time chip into the middle of the box where Jones was backpedaling and has lost his marker. Uh, I think it was Russell was uh, was supposed to be his marker, but Russell didn't see Jones basically take three steps backward uh, just toward the middle of the goal, and Jones headed it right into the left-hand corner, and uh, and that was all she wrote. It was a it was you know a very clinical header. It wasn't particularly powerful, but um, you know it was a good job of Jordan Jones just using space to get open. I agree. Um, yeah. So 45th plus three, Kyle Ventner puts his hands on JC Banks back inside the box. Don't uh, do it. I, Don't do I do have it, to crawl? Kyle. I'm going to listen. If, if I got the, I got the sky miles. If I need to go to every team and tell the defenders to stop putting their hands on people above their waist, this is not, listen, this is not, a eighth grade dance okay you don't need to put your hands on their shoulders and keep it there put it put it below their waist if you're going to touch them man just stop just especially in the box i don't understand why defenders have been doing this for the past couple weeks but it's getting on my nerves <laughs> yeah it's like the fourth pk basically of the same yeah almost the exact same element. Yeah, and I, and you saw it with brandon say, troyer last week you know in this case in this case there was no red card because kyle was not the last man for sure yeah. But, and and um, JC went down extremely easy. So out of all the ones sure. that happened in the past couple of weeks, this one was the one to where he went down extremely easy. But as we said, if there's two hands on somebody's back because you were behind them in the box, they're going to call it. Simple as that. Yeah, exactly. So and so Don Smart, um, Don Smart takes the penalty and he's able to, to score it to the right hand side. Um, it was, you know, it was a good pen. So early in the second half, Daryl Shore definitely had his team up um there were there were a number of chances that madison had in the second half uh valdez came up pretty big i mean he made some pretty acrobatic saves uh i think there were like three shots basically in the first i want to say it was in the in the first like four or five minutes of the half jc banks had a wide open header in the 49 I don't think I think like it's one of those things to where when you get a layup in basketball and you're wide open and you miss it because you're like, I can't believe I'm this open. Somebody's about to come and block me from behind because, yeah, he used nine out of ten times would have buried that. And he just he missed it. Yeah. So uh, both uh, keepers, there were very few block shots in this game. Both keepers had three saves on the night on uh, four shots on target for both. So, and, and obviously they each had one goal. So uh, not a lot of blocks. Yeah. And I, uh, I think the same way that uh, Mangles has kept Chattanooga in the playoff running all year, I, I think uh, Silvestre has really done it for Madison the past uh, last quarter of the season as well. He's been coming up huge. Yeah, I agree. So, Question for you. So Oliver White, who's a loney from uh, Minnesota United down to forward, he was an unused substitute in this mm-hmm. game. So he, you know, traveled all the way to Tucson. He didn't come off the bench. I would have thought that he might have come in as another attacking option later in the game, like even with like just 15 minutes left or something like that. Yeah, but, I, I think they, they brought in Eaton instead. And props to Eaton because he came in and put a shot on goal Um I think in the 80th minute, or if I'm thinking of, I might be thinking of the game before, but he, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, in 86 minute, he came in and put a shot on goal. And that was one of their only shots on goal pretty much in the second half. So yeah. he, um, yeah, but I, I would have liked to see him come on earlier if they were going to bring in, you know, an offensive player. I think when uh, Tenario went out, they brought in um, Bennett. So he yeah. might've been another one, but yeah, 
I, I don't know. I don't think White has played in a couple of games, right? I think Tenario's pretty much taken that spot. Yeah, yeah, it's on, been a, been a couple of it. games. I, I don't know. I mean, Bemet didn't look that – I don't know. I, I didn't think he looked great that last 15 minutes. I, I probably would have liked to have seen Oliver White – you know, yeah. come in and get a little run out for that 15 minutes because um, I, I think that te- his technical ability and, and finishing is is really solid, and that's kind of what they were missing. Yeah, I don't um, hate it. You no, know, because they had their chances. I mean, they had 17 shots. It just, you know, like you said, only four on target, so not great. Yeah. Okay, to a match, I have to admit, I did not watch. Um, the uh, I, time just got away from me this weekend. <laughs> but Chattanooga Red Wolves 2 to Richmond Kickers 1. Uh, a win kept Chattanooga in the hunt for the playoffs, so they needed this win in a pretty big way. Uh, the, really, the, the deciding factor in this game seemed to have happened in the 23rd minute when Brandon Troyer got a red card for denial of goal-scoring opportunity for putting his hands on someone's back and pushing them down inside the box. Now, here's the thing about this. Who would have ever done that before? (laughs) Yeah, like 15 minutes before the way that the time worked out. Um, So the one thing that I do have a little bit of a beef with here, and it's hard because there isn't VAR and everything happens in real time and everything happens so fast. The contact that Troyer made on... Uh, on the back, I don't remember who the Chattanooga player was, but whoever it was, um, uh, actually started outside the box. So this actually should have been a red card for sure, but it, the, the actual placement of the kick should have been about 20 yards out, not, uh, not a penalty kick. Um, I mean, Troyer was going to get sent off either way, given what he did, but, uh, so, so anyway, so I do think that I know the guys at, at both soccer chat and river city 93, I think kind of agree with, with that assessment, but, uh, you, you know, I don't know if it would have really changed the result very much. I still think that Chattanooga probably, probably deserved the, the win in the end. Um, but nonetheless, like, you know, if it was, if it was nil nil after that, because of the free kick, um, you know, that then there might've been more options that Richmond would have had, but. That's the way it goes. Welfi, you know, was clinical and finished the PK on the bottom right, right underneath Akira Fitzgerald's arms. I don't know. Do, do, do you think that that the contact with uh, that Troyer made was outside the box, or do, do you disagree with my take? I, I, I think it starts there. It's, it's tough. It, it's one of those things where in real time I can see why the ref called it but when you go back and look and we have time to slow motion it and we have time to look i do think it's outside the box but because they don't have var it's really tough to call that in real time and see because contact can start outside of the box but then when the person starts falling inside the box you have to then say okay when was it contacted then did it contact earlier it has to be on the spot so it's a tough call yeah uh, so after the red card, uh, the way that, that Richmond kind of <laughs> adjusted themselves was that Eckenrode wound up playing as, as the right center back in place of Troyer, and yeah. that's not Eckenrode's best position for At sure. At that point, they should have just played uh, one back and just had everybody <laughs> up. It's just I don't think Richmond was supposed to have backs anymore. <laughs> Well, and it, well, maybe they didn't because in the 32nd minute, Cito Sioni uh, doubles the Red Wolves' lead. Uh, the Red Wolves were playing very narrow. I mean, if you go back and you look at what happened starting in about the 30th minute, basically everyone from the Red Wolves was at least 20 yards inside the field. So, so they basically were playing in kind of the middle, like 35 yards or so um, of that uh, of of the field in uh, in Chattanooga, and um, the ball gets gets out to uh, 
uh, basically they're playing the width of the penalty areas is actually what I wrote in our show notes. So I think that that's, that's probably something they consider. Zagoro gets the ball from about 30 yards out, makes a very nice half turn. Uh, Sione then makes a run in behind, uh, in behind Ivan. Zagoro makes a very nice weighted pass. How many times have you seen a pass like that, that, that goes off the end line for a goal kick? And, yeah. uh, but it was perfectly weighted. I mean, I guess home field, it's nice to know how fast the ball rolls and, and, uh, Sione one time finishes it near post. Yeah, so. and I thought Pineo was going to be that guy to take over offensively and be that offensive pivot. Pivot, but uh, it's apparently it's Seguro. Um, you know, coach hasn't doesn't have the morals that I have, and gave him the go ahead after the punching people <laughs> in the face. But you know, he gets he gets the prize for it because Seguro went out there and you know was the player of the week, just controlled the game offensively, both halves and uh, defensively as well, going back and helping out on defense. So. A great performance from him. What what position like Zagoro? I always thought of kind of as an outside back. I mean, what he what he is, but they yeah. they definitely played him as a wing this game, or, or they played him they played him further up for sure. He definitely didn't start in the back. Yeah, I, I he didn't didn't seem like it just from looking at no. His, they, uh, I think just looking at his heat map. Yeah, uh, he's easily the best passer in that team, and so I think coach said, "All right, we're we're giving you the keys. We need you to create these chances and." He did what he had to do. And he, and he was on the right side, too, when this goal happened. Um, you know, normally I, I think of him more as a left winger, yep. too. Yep. So, you know, so he's switching around. So maybe that maybe that helped, you know, mess up the uh, uh, mess up the Richmond kind of. I think red cards plan. helped mix uh, messed up Richmond's uh, defense. Yeah, well, that, that, that's fair. Like but game Richmond, before and this one. But Richmond yeah. did make a game of it, though, because in the 65th minute, Charles Boateng gets his first USL League One goal. Uh, so Mwape uh, was dribbling the ball just past midfield, sees Boateng making a run all the way across. He makes this nice, like, 40-yard uh, pass right to Boateng's foot. And uh, the, the ball bounces in front of Boateng after he takes a touch, and then he left-foots it far post. Great strike. Really, really good strike. It's, and I think it's up for goal of the week. Yeah, um, it is. If, yeah, it, it should be because it's it's a really, really well-taken goal. I mean, it's not like goal of the year or anything, but it's a very well-taken goal. Would not be surprised if it won goal of the week. Uh, so that was still a game with uh, 25 minutes to go. It's a great hit. Um, you, you know, both teams in this game had uh, – so interesting – both teams had uh, about 50% possession. Both had nine interceptions. Uh, Richmond actually had more corners. Richmond actually had seven corners in this game compared to two for Chattanooga. Chattanooga was offside eight times. Yeah. Eight. Well, that's also, too, I think that's just not having BD and the people that are usually making those runs. Um, right. And I think, you know, with Zagaro kind of being the pivot of the offense, it's going to it takes him a little bit to get that chemistry. I will say it concerns me, though, how long and how much they let Richmond stay in this game while playing up a man. Um, you know, usually Chattanooga defensively, once they get the goal, once they get the lead, they're they shut it down. good money. Yeah, they shut it down. But maybe because Zagaro is playing higher, maybe because they have, you know, changed the tactics in the lineup. Um you know, they didn't. They didn't really shut it down the way they normally do. Yeah. Anything else in this game, Jason? No. Um, I think. Uh, I think Hurst uh, uh, at cooled down a little bit after playing a couple of good weeks. Um, so I think he's going to be big though for this final weekend. 
All right. Well, shall we go team of the week for week 27, the penultimate week? As you mentioned, Zagoro from Chattanooga Red Wolves with the player of the week. His teammate, Ualfi, also makes team of the week. Um, Franco Mingo, and Nelson, and Schaffelberg, all from TFC2 uh, on the team of the week this week. OCB's goalkeeper, Chade, who, you know, he came up came up pretty big, you know, in, mm-hmm. in their win. I mean, he had to, right? I mean, it's OCB. <laughs> yeah, they have to, is going to have to do something. Um, and he's, and been, he's been pretty good all year. So I do no, want to give him props for that. He's been okay. He's got a lot of practice. I mean, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> given, given the weakness of the back line. Uh, Mendoza also from OCB makes team of the week. Uh, both Don Smart and Diaz from Forward Madison make team of the week. And Greenville's Cameron Saul and FC Tucson's Jordan Jones also on the list. So Richmond's Boateng maybe or Mwape, uh, given that they, you know, in a losing effort, you had a really good goal, really good combination. Um, you know, I think they deserve a shout out maybe and, mm-hmm. you know, are on the on the bench of this team. So anyone else? I, I can give a shout out. Um, apparently Bermudez deserves a shout out for being the strongest person in the league. I think that... Uh, <laughs> That definitely deserves a shout out as well. Pound for pound, he's out of man. Yeah, right? pound for pound, P- fighting uh, out of his weight class. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so preview of week twenty eight. This is it. This is it. This is it. All times are Eastern. This is the ultimate week, the final week. Decision it, day. It all starts on. Or decision well, weekend, as the case decision may Decision days, yeah, yeah. Well, this one doesn't really decide anything, because on Friday you have the first game. It's FC Tucson versus North Texas. It's 10.30 at night out in Tucson. Are there, is there anyone other than scouts going to be watching this game? Quite Your frankly? boy is. Uh, actually, I'll, be, I'll watch it after I have a DJ yeah, sure. that night. So I'll I'm watch sure, it I'm, I get back. I'm sure I'll watch it, too. But uh, uh, Tucson Batista is suspended for this game I, on yep. Yellow Park Accumulation. I want to see what North Texas does. They didn't play Damas last week. Pepe hasn't played in a couple weeks. I don't know, and that's one of the questions we'll talk about, if Pepe's going to play this week. And, you know, North Texas needs to kind of start getting their cylinders together and clicking on – all cylinders for, you know, we got playoffs next week. So this is not like a game where they're going to take it easy, take a break, right? They're probably going to put for 60, 70 minutes a, a team that they think is going to start next week in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, that that actually is something that uh, Coach Eric Quill for North Texas mentioned. He said, like, look, we want to win as many games as we can, and we want to go strong into the playoffs. So I would be very surprised if he didn't put out his A team. You know, maybe you know one person if they have a little knock or something gets gets a rest. But I would suspect that you'll see whoever they think is going to be going up against either Chattanooga or Forward Madison next week yeah. uh, be be the starters for sure. Um. It'll be interesting to see who FC Dallas allows to come down. Like, is Pepe still going to be with the oh, first yeah. team? Are we have we a question see? about we have a question about that. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about that in a minute then. Uh, Saturday, two and a half of these games matter, and the reason why I say two and a half is because <laughs> one definitely matters. Three p.m. on Saturday, Lansing Ignite versus Forward Madison. Three p.m. This is the game you must watch. If there is any of these matches that is must watch this weekend, it is this one. Madison wins. And they're in. That's it. Full stop. Lansing draws or wins. They're in second place. This game matters for seeding, matters for who makes the playoffs, matters for what next game you're going to watch as well. So it's going to this this 3 p.m. match will determine what you're doing at seven o'clock at night. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Uh, Let's see. So. 
Jason, yes. why will Lansing win this? Huh. So let's let's go over it. So Lansing hasn't lost in what three months now. Uh, they've just June been chilling. June 29th was their last loss. June 29th. Incredible. Uh, and, and even so, like, they, they've they lost one game at home all season. Um, they've been chilling. Uh, they're well-rested, you know, fixing their injuries. Uh, I like that Nate Miller put two friendlies in between these weeks they've been off to, you know, keep the guys loose. I just think that in Ford's situation, if Lansing comes out, aggressive and scores first that game's over i don't if you're ford madison you don't want to chase this game and because if you're chasing the game you're leaving eric leonard by himself while the whole team is up to try to break up to rafa pato that's not happening um and so i think that's exactly kind of what happens i think that lansing comes out early uh, aggressive they want to get in, just like north texas they want to get into the groove going into the playoffs and i think this match might be over by the by halftime. Well, it could be, but I think Forward Madison will have to do some dig. You know, I think it's going to be an upward battle for Forward Madison. But I was supposed to answer why will Forward Madison win this game, and I think that they'll win it because they want it more. I think they mm-hmm. have to want the game more. They have to make sure that they're prepared to pass out of the Lansing's press because I think Lansing will press forward when they uh, when they can and try and win the ball. And they, if they can get out of that press, if ever Eric Leonard, quite frankly, you mentioned him already, if he's able to pivot and get the balls wide to Don Smart and to Jace, and to uh, uh, Paolo Jr., then they have a really good shot at potentially you know stealing stealing a couple of points here. I mean, a point for forward doesn't do it for them. They have to get all three. So they have to push forward. So JC Banks, you know, playing as that number eight or, or 10, um, you know, he has to, he has to, you know, really be ready, quite frankly, to take the chances. Cause I don't think that Lansing's going to give up a lot of chances. So I think forward has to be very clinical in this game. Um, I do think that one thing that forward does have, they've got a bunch of fans coming out there on the road trip to support them. And I do think that, the fans for Ford really do matter. Even when you watch a game against North Texas when they scored and you saw Turbo run to the crowd and you like you see the emotions on the players' face. You see how much it means to them and how much that support means to them from the fans. And I know those fans aren't definitely going to be quiet uh, in in the stadium. So yeah, I think that they do have a leg up when it comes to that. No offense to the assembly line. Don't don't flood my mentions, please. I know y'all <laughs> going in for your team. I'm just. Trying to give Ford a little bit of credit, all right? <laughs> yeah, they're doing a joint tailgate, so the uh, that should be mentioned as well, is that the flock and the assembly line are having a joint tailgate before, so that would be fun. Supporters culture, you know, you know, support lo- hashtag support local soccer right there. Also, by the way, Jason, so since we're here talking a lot about Forward Madison, I did watch the uh, Forward Madison match last week with my son, uh, who uh, is a is a reasonably high-level player, but he's playing uh, – He's ninth grade. He's starting for his JV soccer team. He is now a forward Madison fan. Thank you very much to the flock. He loved it. He loved it. He wants to join. He wants to be the flock, part of the flock. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he asked me when the game was and unfortunately, um, he's not going to be able to watch it live. So we'll watch it uh, later on that night. Um, Next game, Chattanooga Red Wolves versus TFC 2, 7 p.m. If Madison draws or loses, Chattanooga 
with a win will get into the playoffs. So again, this me you know for this one, you know you have to watch a three p.m. game. If Madison wins, this game is meaningless. Uh, if Madison doesn't win, then this game decides if Madison's going to make the finals or if Chattanooga is going to uh, make the playoffs. Excuse me, or if Chattanooga is going to make the playoffs. So. I am supposed to answer, why will Chattanooga win this? Chattanooga will win this because they stay organized defensively. Um, TFC2 has a too good of a, uh, an attack to ignore. And Chattanooga just has to be very, very disciplined defensively and then take the opportunity or two when, it, when they come. And I think that's how Chattanooga wins this game. Jason, why will TFC2 win this game? Yeah, and... Statistically, this is set up for Chattanooga to win, right? TFC, double game week, both games on the road this week. They have a quick turnaround. They just played tonight. Um, But you know what? TFC. I wonder if they're staying in Chattanooga, by the way. I bet you they are. Because they're in Richmond. Going from Richmond to Chattanooga? Yeah, maybe. maybe But I will say this. Toronto has only lost one game where they scored first. And... Chattanooga, even though they like to score late, I don't trust them chasing the game. I think that when they, if they chase a game, they're going to leave way too much space. And Toronto just has too fast of players, too good of players offensively to leave that much space. I think Jordan Perusa is hungry for that golden boot. I think he only needs three to win it, two to tie. And I think that Toronto is really, and and that's just how the nature of his character. And, anyway. and who has more assists? Because that that that's the tiebreak, by the way. Oh, uh, I never knew so that. So I bet you Perusa has more assists. That's that is a that is a good question. I never knew that. Um, we'll have to look at that. We'll but to, I will we'll say that you you keep yeah, talking. Peru- about I know Perusa. Yeah, but I know that Perusa's character is just that he's a head down, going for every game. Um, and yeah, I think because of that, if Toronto scores first and Chattanooga starts chasing, they're going to leave leave it too open. Jordan Perus is going to score two more on them. The floodgates are going to open. And yeah, I think that that's how Toronto wins this. Okay, so I'm looking at the assist list right now. I know Perus has two. So let's see here. Does. And Domus has three. So Oh there you go. Okay. Yeah, you so Domus has three. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I see that too. Yeah. And actually oh, yeah, Peruza Petros- gets an assist. Two 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 goals and an assist. And two then, goals and assist. That would win him the golden yeah. well, well actually would, I don't know what the third time yeah, is because that's I a good question. The I have no idea. Just, Maybe they tie. Maybe they just they, a, they share it. They, they each get a, one they each get one boot. It's a penalty kick out. You know, you yeah, five, <laughs> five kicks each. There you go. Dallas J gets in goal and then there you go. They go against the Golden Glove. <laughs> that would be that would be fantastic. That's how USL again along that along with a forty yard dash, right? Like, <laughs> listen, USL. Me and Ira will be glad to come in as consultants and give you guys ideas. That's what I mean. If that's a tie, and that come on, that's the only way a tiebreaker should happen. Forget assists. Line them up. Make them earn it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so we're you know. The next game, which also kicks off at 7 o'clock uh, next to Chattanooga. I, I'm much more likely to watch the Chattanooga TFC game than Richmond hosting OCB. I know Richmond, you know, I have an affinity to you. I love you guys, River City 93, Elliot, but 
it really doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's two teams that are totally out of it. It's the, you know, bottom of the table clash. Uh, Serginho is suspended for this game because of the red card that he got against Greenville. Um, probably won't matter either way. Uh, so can we skip this, Jason? Can I move on? I, yeah, but I, I do think Orlando City B is going to win it. I think that, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I think that, so Richmond has two ways to go about this, right? Do you finish the season strong and give your fan base something to talk about, or do you play the kids? And I have a feeling that it might be a mix of both. Um, I think maybe you'll well, see some Well, they played Rice second, today, right? Akira, Akira right, they played Rice today. Tonight. Um, yeah. But I think it'll be like second half subs uh, to where you'll see them come in. And I think the one thing OCB does well on the breaks are is their through balls through the middle. And I think that Shinovsky and the central defense for Richmond kind of struggle getting those through balls. And you saw it a little bit tonight, right? Like Perusa, as soon as Toronto won the balls in the middle, Perusa was off and you would see the through balls go to him. Um, and I think that you're going to see a couple of those with Orlando and I'm looking at them pulling another upset, another 1-0 win or 2-1 win. That's my that's my spicy take this week. It's, it's possible. I, I think that if Brandon Troyer doesn't get a red card and he's able to guard the back line uh, for Richmond, then then that'll make it a little bit more difficult for OCB. I mean, I could see this like as kind of a 1-1 or 2-2 kind of affair. Um I think there'll be goals, so I don't think this is a nil-nil game for sure. So, so I agree with you, but I wouldn't be surprised if Richmond was able to uh, was able to put, score, put together a couple goals yeah, as well. Yeah, could be two I, on the other I'm way. trying to sell y'all to watch the game. You know, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying my best here. Watch it on re- <laughs> watch it on replay. The Chattanooga TFC game, if especially if it matters, that's the game yeah. you should be watching. Yeah. Uh, and then at eight o'clock is the other game that you'll be watching. One way or the other, you're you're either watching the Chattanooga TFC game or you're watching the South Georgia Tormentor versus Greenville game, which is at eight p.m. Eastern time. Uh, if Lansing loses and Greenville wins this game, then Greenville comes in second on the wins tiebreaker. Uh, this is a must win. This is a must watch match if if Lansing loses the three o'clock game to Madison. So um, otherwise, it doesn't really matter very much because Greenville will come in third. Uh, South Georgia already can't make the playoffs. Um, is this another? This another? This a trap game for Greenville? Yeah, Jason? I think I I think so. I think uh, so. When you look at the, the Tormenta Greenville games that we've had this year, it pretty much comes down to finishing their chances, right? Tormenta won that first game because Greenville couldn't finish their chances, and then Greenville won after that because they could. <clears throat> and so it all depends, right? Can Greenville finish their chances? Because if they're zero zero. Going into the 60 70th minute, I can see a Tormenta counter making this a 1 0 game. Sure. Losing. I mean, who, who knows? Like, you know, Connor Antley or 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 Mikey Rowe. I mean, one of those guys can hit a banger anytime. We've seen it, you know, we how many times have we seen that this season? So. I will be curious about Tormenta's lineup, though, because Morrell and Charlie Dennis didn't play last week. So, depending on the lineup, too, would, would make this game. Uh, you know, outcome different. But I do think that Tormenta would love nothing more but to beat Greenville yeah. uh, in a game that matters on the last day of the season. In the interest of time, I'm going to skip the standings because all you need to know is Lansing comes in second if they beat Madison. Madison makes the playoffs for sure if they beat Lansing. And then 
you know, depending on if Lansing loses and Greenville wins, Greenville comes in second, Lansing third. If Madison loses and Chattanooga wins, Chattanooga comes in fourth, makes the playoffs, and uh, there's a lot of birds that will drop dead very quickly on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, quick, just look, if, if Madison loses and Chattanooga draws, then Madison still gets in off tiebreakers, right? Because they'll both be at 40 yep. points, but Madison, Madison has Madison one has more the, win. It has the win, yeah. Yep. So Madison would get through on the first wins tiebreaker. So okay. just so you know, wins is the first tiebreaker, then goal difference, So which which I like quite a lot, actually. It's, oh, which actually brings us into a question. Okay, uh, so here from, we go. So first fan question. Go for it, Jason. From our guy, uh, you know, FC2 and D3, um, or TFC2 and TFC2. D3, sorry. Uh, what is your prefer- preferred league table tiebreaker? Yeah, I, for, for me, it is the wins, right? So, I mean, I would actually, if, if there was a, uh, if, it, if there was a home and home, if you had a, or even if, it, if there were four matches, but they were equal home and away, I would like to see head to head be the first tie break. Um, but, you know, given that we have some teams that play, you know, against the other teams three times, you can't really do that. So I think wins is a, is a really good tie break because it incentivizes you just to play a little bit more for a win and not just say, oh, well, I, we need three more points and there's six more games. So we'll just hang back and, you know, get four draws and we'll make the, playoffs or whatever right so I, i'd rather have wins be that tie break so just because your team got to play orlando four times and we only got to play in three times my team should suffer nah i'm i'm going head to head listen <laughs> i it's not i should not be going through based off the performance of other teams right when it comes down to both of us being tied let's you know let's do head to head who was the better team when we faced off against each other and uh, a side note from uh, tsc2 and d3 he also put i believe that the asian leagues or the asian competitions uh they settle head to head because it prevents match fixing right yeah no that's 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 fair and i don't mind that either but i think we can both agree that goal differential is not a good first tiebreaker right right yeah i think we can we can both agree on that we can agree on that all right so maybe uh so maybe it's head-to-head first and then wins and then goal differential yeah i can i can live with that yeah fair enough okay uh next question will we receive ricardo pepe this week we talked about it very briefly so jason do you have any any insight into that at all Listen, I don't think we'll see him this week. I think the Dallas is playing for their playoff. FC Dallas is playing for their playoff position in MLS, and they don't have anyone really off the bench they can bring as an attacking threat. Uh, it's going to be a heavy conversation. There's a chance we might not see Ricardo Pepe until a championship game if FC Dallas makes the playoffs. I'll have to look at the schedule to see when MLS is playing uh but if they're playing the same weekends as um, well so the semifinals are during an international break okay um, so where then mls we'll is that, not playing right so we'll um, see the finals then. i think is is during a, a regular week yeah Oof. so okay so we'll see him at the semis i don't think we see him this week the finals is going to be if they if they make it that far and i think the finals would be mls's first weekend for the playoffs right uh, so I, I think the, the way the schedule. playoffs work this year for MLS, I think actually all the games are midweek until the finals. And if FC Dallas gets in, it might be away. So yeah, yeah they're, I think they're you, almost definitely yeah. away. So do you, and, do you let him go away and then come back and play or because he wasn't in practice? I don't, I don't know. 
Well, th- this week, this week, the Western Conference kicks off at uh, 3 p.m. Central uh, Central Time, so that's uh, 4 p.m. East Coast time on Sunday. And FC Dallas is hosting Sporting KC, so the chances that we'll see him this weekend if he's on that roster is n- near zero. Yeah. Uh, so because I, these I games on Saturday before, they're not going to want him tired if they w- might have any chance of him playing on Sunday. Yeah, so yeah. I think uh, not this week, maybe the semifinals because of the international break, and we'll, we'll we'll see if they make the finals. That's going to be a fun discussion to talk about. Yeah. River City Red Army has a question for us, Jason. Yep. Who has had a more disappointing season, Richmond? With their preseason expectations, or Tormenta, Tormenta falling from second place. And just as a FYI, we will actually be doing a bonus podcast next week, where we will be recapping the season, uh, talking about uh, you know giving out awards, talking about players who surprised us, maybe some teams who disappointed us, um, and all that good stuff. So look out for that. But for the sake of this question, we can we can answer this one quickly. Um, I'm going to say it's Tormenta just because you saw their ceiling. You saw how well they were playing and just to watch it fall apart was, was crazy. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I think you can't, I think they're both very disappointing seasons, obviously. I mean, Richmond's, you know, terrible run of form in May and June were just, you know, absolutely depressing. Um, I think the fact that, you know, Richmond strung together four straight wins uh, was, was admirable, but, you know, torment. I think it's Tormenta because even even if they went 500 the second half of the season, they would be in the playoffs right now. And you know, their their just run of form was was just as bad as their initial uh, as their initial results were good. So I think it has to be Tormenta. Yeah, it's a difference between not living up to expectations you had in the preseason and reaching those expectations during the season just to let them fall apart. And that's you know part of that is injury. Part of that might be fatigue for you know these players who played in a lower division last year and, you know, may not have traveled as much, may not have played as long, but it's still disappointing. And uh, thank you, River City Red Army, for that question. All right, last question here, Jason. How long until our next expansion announcement? And that comes from Snidge John 540 on Reddit. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, the announcements will come, what do you think, December? So I, I yeah I suspect that we'll have a few soon after the season ends. I think in particular what we'll get is as soon as um, as soon as teams as soon as the playoffs are set for USL Championship, I think that you might get a couple of announcements of teams coming down, existing teams coming down from the championship, and then for new teams, I would be surprised if we didn't get one or you know one in November or one in December or something like that. Um, okay. You know, at least at least the indications that we've gotten, you know, we have things like the, uh, you know, a, a New England Revolution team, uh, a two team from there that that's probably I mean, basically, that's one of those things where it's like the worst kept secret ever. Um, it's it's happening. It's just a matter of kind of some of the details that we don't know, like where they're going to play and, and what their what their branding is going to be. And the other one is that Riverside, California mm-hmm. team that's that's linked to uh um, what is it, AC Milan or one of the Milan teams? And um, so, so I, I would be surprised if we didn't hear from both of those in you know soon after the season ends. I would love for Riverside to be announced before the year ends. 
Yeah, I, it, and it's kind of hard not to, right? Because you need to make sure you have a coach. Like, assuming that they mm-hmm. have some things lined up, like where, like a, a stadium to play in, and some of the other infrastructure, and that stuff in the background is already done. Then it's really you have to get a coach because they have to start their scouting. They have to start players. I mean, they have to be. So a lot of these guys have to be ready to go to the MLS Combine too, because one of the things that USL teams are starting to do, both Championship and League One teams, is they go to like the College Combine and then. Um, guys who aren't invited to the combine, they're then free agents automatically. And if they're free agents, they can sign with the USL club immediately. Right. Uh, the second thing that happens is is that some guys who were quite good but may or may not get drafted, um, they can go into the draft, into the MLS draft, but have a pre-contract signed with the USL club. So if they're not drafted, they could come to a USL club. And and the combine is usually the first week of December or the second week of December. And then the, the MLS draft is at the U.S. Soccer Coaches Convention, which is this year in Baltimore. Uh, I think it'll be January 16th or 17th, so that Thursday or Friday during the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Um, by the way, on that score, um, I'll be there. Uh, we'll probably have a table on Podcast Row along with some other BGN network shows. So uh, so if you happen to be going to the United Soccer Coaches Convention, you know, stop by, say hi. Um, I don't know if Jason would be there or not. I might be able to pull his pull his ear, but you know. I was going to say, you know, you you might have to sneak me in. Uh, I think uh, I've been kicked out the past four years, so uh, oh. I need you to. You no, know. you got to got to tell me those stories. When you we're know. This. Right. <laughs> so I would on a on a personal note, I would like to thank all of the uh, media people and communications people at um, at all of the the clubs except for Toronto and uh, and OCB. And because they never contact us, but for everyone else, they've been very. Everyone else has been very responsive to us, and we really appreciate that as part of the independent media and you know setting up interviews and and you know talking candidly on occasion about some things that are going on in your club. So, um, so on behalf of Jason and myself, you know, thank you very much to everyone. You know, Bridget down in Tormenta and Aaron up in Lansing, Cuba uh, in at, at Forward Madison. Patrick down at uh, um, in Richmond, um, and I know I've missed some people, but uh, Garrett at um, uh, yeah. down down in Dallas, Mar- Marion at Greenville, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, everyone. So thanks very much for for all of your help so far this uh, this season, and we hope for some of you maybe we'll be able to meet you at the uh, at the finals. And I would also like to give a special thank you. To the father of the most adorable and fierce fan in USL League One, known as Lugnut, her father, Grinch, sent me a special package. And guess what that package was, Ira? You got a package? Did you get a scarf? I didn't get a scarf. I got something better. I got a John Harks bobblehead. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. So fantastic! Yes, yeah, exactly. So, that that uh, was a very early Christmas present or uh, Hanukkah present. Yes. I don't know what you celebrate. <laughs> Both. Uh, but, but Me a, too. But a, yeah, but a special thank you to Grinch. I really appreciate that. Also sent me some magnets, some stickers. Actually got team autographs. It was a, an amazing package, and I really appreciate you know the the community. Uh, and reaching out like that. This has just been a fun league to cover, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we do. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. Jason, where can people connect with you? You can connect with me at Home Sweet Soccer, and just as a teaser, look out for the USL website. I have some spicy takes coming about this weekend, dropping either tomorrow or Friday. Uh, so, yeah, 
you can definitely look for me at Home Sweet Soccer. And I'm sure on Sunday, a lot of you guys will be flooding my mentions with I told you so's or you're wrong as hell. <laughs> so US, uh, Jason is doing some writing for USLLeague1.com. So check that out. I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter and you can connect with the show at League One. That's League and the number one fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look, we have a lot of listeners and we don't have a lot of of reviews on on the itunes app on on your iphone stop being lazy yeah stop being lazy it's really super easy to leave a you don't have to write a review we'd love it if you did but just rate the show at least come on it takes like it takes literally a second and a half i mean while you're pressing play press some of the stars like yeah i mean five if if you don't give us a five star we'd like to know why but yeah i mean i thought five was a great number five's uh, always been a good number to me yeah it's like the magic number plus two. Anyway, uh, USL League One, USL Championship, NWSL, MLS, and a lot more can be found at bgn.fm for podcasts and written content written uh, about all the teams that you love in USL. Thanks for our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Greg Berhalter was not wearing one. I was very disappointed, but I <laughs> I, I – I, uh, Anyway, it was a casual event. Uh, I'll post pictures on my uh, on my Twitter. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer. Sadan so War 5, Puyo War 5. 5 is a good number. It is. Have a good night, Jason. <laughs>